If you could take your Bible or um, your bulletin and turn to, to Matthew chapter 23, and we'll start at uh, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar and swears by it and by everything on it, and anyone who swears by the temple, swears by it, and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven, swears by God's throne, and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat, but, follow, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then outside, and the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say... If we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Don't be a hypocrite, part two. Um, you might say, I don't like Christians and I don't like people who go to church, they're all hypocrites. I hate hypocrites. Well, a number of things I'd like to say to you. First of all, Jesus hated hypocrites too. And uh, he warned with the most severe language possible that hypocrites are in a very dangerous position. And uh, this chapter, uh, you see how it ends uh, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Uh, hypocrites are in very dangerous position. Uh, secondly, please be sure there are hypocrites at church. Uh, most of us acknowledge our behavior is not perfect. We acknowledge the church is full of sinners. And uh, we appreciate people pointing our faults out to us. Right? <laughs> I don't think we do because we're hypocrites. <laughs> Third, we try to love hypocrites. They need the gospel of good news of Jesus Christ too. Hypocrisy is one of those sins that Jesus died on the cross for. Fourth, 
Jesus said, people will know that you are Christians by the way you love one another. We want to be followers of Jesus. The way we prove that is how we love followers of Jesus. We think that you should love Christians too. Uh, second part of the introduction. Uh, the best part, the best interpretation for Matthew 23, the passage that we read today, is that uh, this is for religious leaders. Jesus is taking the religious leaders of Judaism to task, the Pharisees and the scribes, and uh, he is hitting them and saying their message is wonderful. They're not living up to it. And uh, underneath, they are in rough shape. They're sinful. And I think he is hitting preachers and teachers and scholars. The most obvious application of this passage is for pastors and for Sunday school teachers and for deacons and for elders and for missionaries, those who would take leadership position. And he is saying there is a problem. And uh, there is a huge problem with that today. With religious leaders who would preach uh, following Jesus and yet whose lives are full of greed and uh, licentiousness or legalism. And uh, that's the way I think you could apply this today. Jesus especially, especially addressing the religious leaders of his day, those who were spiritually dead. They weren't born again. They were heretical. They simply did not believe the scriptures, and they were legalistic. They were hypocrites. Um, I believe uh, we have churches in Canada today that are in dire need because they have pastors who don't believe in God, and the congregation does. And they have pastors who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and the congregation does. That's sad this passage would be for them. Thirdly, I'm going to apply this passage to you because uh, too many times we work on the outside of our faith and we work on how we look to others and the core is rotten. And uh, that's what Jesus is talking about. So this is uh, part two. We are on point eight. Religious hypocrites love loopholes for their behavior. And verses 16 through 22, Woe to you blind guides, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. Verse 18, you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he's bound by his oath. So they had a way of judging whether you had to keep your oath. And if you said, I swear by the altar, uh, you don't have to keep that oath. But if I, you say, I guarantee it by uh, the sacrifice, you have to keep that oath. And Jesus says, well, that's just crazy. Those are just loopholes. You're coming up with crazy things to justify your bad behavior. Uh, we're like that today. Come up with ways to justify why we aren't going to do the right thing. So we will come up with ways to justify 
why we shouldn't give someone money who asks us. Have anybody, has anybody heard the scripture where Jesus says, if anybody asks, give it to him? Have you heard that? If anyone asks you for a shirt, what are you supposed to do? Give me a shirt. And give them more. And if anyone asks you to go a mile, what are you supposed to do? Go the extra mile. And yet people come and ask us things, and somehow we come up with the idea, I don't have to help them because the government's doing it. <laughs> Loophole. Right? I can get out of doing what Jesus tells me to do because of some reason. And we can justify being stingy and not loving and not being generous by coming up with all kinds of reasons justifying our, our, our inactions, loopholes. Um, I don't know why John the Baptist didn't say when he was talking about going the extra mile, why John the Baptist didn't say, listen, Roman soldiers are already getting paid money. Why should I go an extra mile with somebody who's making more money than I am? And yet he says, no, you go a mile and you go an extra mile. Point number nine. Religious hypocrites think a lot of their giving and little of their loving. Verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, and he's got three of them, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Um, I've told you about our garden before, and this year Joanne had one basil plant. And uh, we uh, cut the basil off of that, and we had one nice pesto meal, with the basil from our basil plant. I did not take one or two basil leaves and put it in our tithe envelope. A tenth. The Pharisees would. So they would go out and they would go, I need to give a tenth to God. Here's nine basil leaves, there's one for God. Here's nine sprigs of dill. Here's one for God. Here's nine tomatoes for me. Here's one for God. And every little thing they got out of their garden, they were tithing. Now, I don't know how they were tithing. No one has ever given us an envelope with a sprig of dill in it. Wait till next week. <laughs> They were scrupulous, down to the penny, scrupulous, giving God his due and giving the 10%. And Jesus said, here you were counting all these things out, but just decency and niceness to people, there was none of it. And so the things that he talks about, justice, mercy, and faith, you did not have. Uh, the Gospel of Luke has this same text, and he has just neglect of justice and love of God. 
Justice is when we do what is right by people and we do what is fair to them. I've used this illustration before. Uh, a number of years ago, my, my daughter was a waitress at John's. And at John's, the waitress has to put 3% of her meal into the house for a tip. So if you have a $100 bill, the waitress has to give the house $3. So if you go and you have a $100 bill and you don't tip, your waiter or waitress is paying $3 to wait on you. That's not right. So if you don't tip, it's like your waiter has to pay for the privilege of bringing you coffee. Uh, tip. At least tip 3%. <laughs> Even if you want to teach them a lesson, give them 3%. That's justice. Even if they do a bad job, you eventually got the food. They deserve something. They don't deserve to pay for you to be able to sit there and eat. Right? That's a matter of justice. Uh, that was the best case I could come up with, the way personal justice, we don't do what's right by people. I'm sure there are all kinds of ways. But the second way he talks about is mercy. And mercy is when we go beyond justice. Now we're not giving people what is right and fair. But now we're looking at them and our hearts are going out to them and we're responding to help them in their need. That's mercy. And uh, the Pharisees had no mercy. They lived their lives saying, here I am, I deserve what I've got, and he's not doing that well, well that's too bad for him. He deserves where he's at. And Jesus says, you, here you are tithing, and you should be merciful. You see people that need help, help them. A couple weeks ago, there was a knock on the front door of the church. I went to the door, and it was a new student at uh, Lambton College uh, from India. And he said to me, he said, I'm looking for 1281 Michigan. He said, they've advertised a job, it's a restaurant. And I said, well, this is 1285, and there's no restaurant anywhere close to me. I said, uh, so... I said, can we look, can we look at the address again and, and get the right address? He says, no. He says... I, I just wrote it down. He goes, I don't know where it is. He says, I've been walking for an hour. I can't find it. So I said, okay, get in my car, and we'll go look for it. He said, no, no. He says, I don't want to bother you. I said, yeah, well, get in the car. We'll go for a drive. So we got, he, he got in my car. I don't know if he was brave or stupid or what. And uh, we started driving around. I drove down and looked at the addresses. And finally, as we drove further down the street, I noticed that uh, Fairwinds, was, uh, Fairwinds was 1218. So I thought, maybe we just got our digits mixed up. Maybe the job was for Fairwinds. Let's, let's go in there. So I go in the front door, and I said, I've got a young man here. He's looking to apply for a job. He wants to talk to the cook. And, of course, they go, well, you can't talk to the cook. You have to submit an application. He had it filled out. So we left, we left the application. So then he said, okay, I'm going to go home. I've got, a, I've got a bus pass. And I said, well, I'll drive you home. He said, no. 
He says, I live a long way away. I said, well, where do you live? He said, I live on Copland, which is by uh, No Frills. And I thought, that's not very far away. He goes, no, it's a long way. It took me a long time to get here. So I, I, I convinced him that I would drive him home. I drove him home. He's getting out of his car. And I said, I hope you have a good day. And he said, I've already had the best day possible. I met you. Well, that's not justice. It's mercy. And I think our lives should be full of mercy. Instead of seeing somebody from a different country and a different speaking with an accent, let's be kind and merciful and go the extra mile to help people. The Pharisees would not have done that. They're busy counting their leaves so they can tithe. And with all kinds of needs around them, and they're oblivious to it. And finally, he says, you've got to have faithfulness. Faithfulness to God or faithfulness to people? Am I concerned about God's reputation or am I concerned about myself? That's a loyalty to God issue. And will I stick by my friends when they're in trouble or will I let them go? As Christians, we're good at abandoning people who fall into sin. We write them off. Jesus would say, let's have some loyalty. Number 10. Religious hypocrites focus on outward things when the inner things are in dire need. Notice with me verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. There's two ways to take that, and I'm not sure which one is the correct way. The one way is to think of it as what's inside the Pharisee himself. So he's so interested on cleaning the outside, and inside he's a mess. He's full of greed. He just wants to get ahead, and he just wants money, and he wants a better life for himself. That's what's on the inside. And on the outside, everything looks wonderful. That's one way to take it. Another way to take it is that it's what's inside the cup that's the problem. So he puts wine into the cup, which he doesn't deserve to have because he got it by fraud. He got it the wrong way. His work was deceptive. He's taking advantage of people. Hypocrites look good on the outside, but inside, it's just about them. Here's the way I'd like to apply it to you today. I wonder what you plan and dream about. What do you desire to have for yourself? Sometimes we can't even tell people about these desires and dreams because they're so grandiose for ourselves. They're ridiculous. It's all about me, me getting ahead, me having more. Those are our plans and our dreams. That's the inside that Jesus is talking about. 
He wants us to have dreams when we go to sleep at night about how I'm going to get up in the morning and help somebody else and how I'm going to plan to be good to others. And when our plans and our dreams are all about how my life is going to be good, that's the inside of the cup that needs to be cleaned. Not many of us dream about how we can help some charity out. Most of us dream about how we can gratify our own consumption desires. Those are our dreams. The inside of the cup is filthy. Point number 11. Religious hypocrites look good, but they're full of wickedness. Verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but in the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Usually around the time of the religious festivals, they would paint their, uh, they would paint their tombstones, and they would do that so that you would not uh, mistakenly uh, walk over a grave or walk into a grave and become undefiled by being close to a, a dead body. Uh, that's especially a problem if you are a priest or a Levite. And so they would paint these things white so that you would see them and they would look great. And he says, that's what you Pharisees are. You're just dressing up the outside when inside it's ugliness. When we focus on looking good on the outside, when we dress up ourselves and when we dress up our activities that people see, but don't change the things that people don't see. Point number 12. Religious hypocrites have big trouble with the words of Jesus. Religious hypocrites have big trouble. Notice with me verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets, decorate the graves of the righteous. You say if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we, had, we, we would not have taken a part with them. We would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? God sent them prophet after prophet to call them to himself prophet after prophet to correct their deeds and finally he sent the greatest prophet of all his own son Jesus Christ and he brought them the greatest message from God and it bred anger resentment jealousy and eventually murder in this case murder by using the law and the court to condemn the innocent they were hypocrites. Yes, we love the prophets. We follow the prophet and the greatest prophet of all they killed. Uh, we are now living in a day when people are angry with Jesus. 
He is a swear word. And uh, they use him as a swear word uh, because it's a way of demeaning that which is sacred and holy. And we can drag Jesus right down to earth with us and just use him for the foulest, foulest language that we have. And maybe you're here today and you would say, you know something, I'm not like those hypocrites. And yet, you don't care anything about Jesus. He's meaningless to you. You don't love him. He made you. He's your creator. He died for you. And yet, ho-hum, who cares? You're in the same place as these Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders. Cleaning up the outside. When inside... There's ugliness. The last couple of weeks, uh, one of the major news items in the United States has been a letter found by Ronald Reagan, which he wrote in 1982 as the president of the United States. And he wrote it to his father-in-law. And I, unfortunately, I didn't print it out for myself here today. But he wrote a four-page letter in his handwriting to his father-in-law. His father-in-law, Nancy's father, was dying. And so he wrote a letter, and in it he told him about how God answers prayer. And he told him, he told him about um, how God had sent prophets, and they'd given prophecies, and how these prophecies had come true in the life of Jesus. And finally he said to him, he said, I know you love your wife, but you're not going to be with her anymore but you could have that love forever if you would give your life to Jesus Christ. And then he quoted John 3.16, right near the end of the letter, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And he said to his father-in-law, loyal, he said, If you would just give your life and your heart to Jesus you could have a relationship forever. And uh, this letter was lost. It was not in Reagan's uh, correspondence. This was found in Nancy's correspondence. And uh, the woman, a reporter for the Washington Post, was writing a biography of Nancy Reagan. And she found this letter. And apparently the letter written to Nancy's father had the desired effect. And he, an atheist, gave his life to Christ. And uh, that's what you need to do today. Let's recognize that sometimes we try to clean up the outside and we do all these good deeds to look good. But inside you know it, you're not right. You need Jesus Christ. And you need him to wash you clean so that you can be forgiven before God. And uh, that's where it starts. And then you take the words of Jesus and you live by them. I encourage you today. Let's stop being a hypocrite. And let's get real. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. You're a sinner. And you need Jesus too.